Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to episode number 917 of The Wicked Library, our season 9 finale. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. Now, including private collector episodes from Season 1 and a sample of Wicked Fairy Tales that makes 26 episodes of Wicked Fun we did this season. If you love the show, and why would you be listening if you don't, you'll be excited to learn we have three Women in Horror Month episodes this month before we launch Season 10 in March, with 23 full-sized episodes in the work for Season 10, plus four anthology episodes and at least 10 episodes of The Private Collector, which Private Collector-level supporters will hear several months before anybody else, we have a huge season planned. And supporters at the Extra Wicked level will also get access to 12 Wicked Fairy Tales and hear the stories from our anthology episodes as they come out, one a month before we combine them into anthology episodes and share with the full audience. We're excited that almost every story for Season 10 has been custom-written just for us, by some really big names in horror, with amazing voice actors telling the tales and custom scores by the amazing Nico Viteze. Before we get started today, a big thank you to our new and ongoing supporters. Thank you so much. Without your support, we couldn't continue to make this show. Help us to keep making the show you love by supporting us on Patreon or at our website. All of our supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, ad-free shows, and more. Plus, at the $5 a month and above level, you get more content like our show, Wicked Fairy Tales, as told by your librarian. Sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library or at thewickedlibrary.com. We're working very hard to make the show sustainable, but we really do need your help to do that. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show. And of course, we love hearing from you. The librarian did ask me to remind you that our first written anthology, 13 Wicked Tales, is available to add to your own Wicked Library. The anthology features a private collector story by Aaron Vleck, as well as new tales by Stephanie M. Wojtovich, C. Brian Brown, Christopher Long, Jessica McHugh, K.B. Goddard, Kelly Perkins, Lydia Peaver, Meg Halfdahl, Mike Pilgrim, 
Nelson W. Piles, Pippa Bailey, and Sebastian Bendix. The book also features beautiful cover art and illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda. It's a fantastic collection, and you can get yours now at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash read. Now, today's episode features a dark tale by new author John Wolfe. You can learn more about John at his bio page on thewickedlibrary.com. Today's storytellers are the very talented Denise Michelle Johnson and me, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer, Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Please, if you enjoy the stories you hear on the show, find the work of the authors and buy their work. It keeps them making more. Now, let's get wicked. Ah, so you've come in search of a story, have you? Well, you've come to the right place. My private collection of dark tomes are hungry for your fear, filled with stories that are sure to terrify, disturb, and delight. Be warned, though, these tales are not for sensitive listeners. You're going to hear things that will upset and quite possibly offend. Ah, here's a good one. Follow me now and we'll enjoy this tale together. It's story time at the Wicked Library. <laughs> Gigi by John Wolfe The girl wasn't lying. Booker could sniff out a lie in a second. A nice trick to trot out at parties. Or... At least he figured it could be. At six and a half feet, corded in thick ropes of beaten muscle and covered with a gallery-length scroll of prison ink, Booker didn't get invited to too many parties. He received plenty of phone calls, though. The kind best made in the dead of night. The young thing in front of him had contacted him like all the others. But that was where the similarities ended. Kendall Roberts must have just celebrated her 16th birthday. But nobody bothered carting her here. The bar's ID policy was probably hidden behind the fridge, full of nightcrawlers and other live bait. In a place with bullet holes in the aluminum roof, patrons vomiting out back, and the lone singer on stage hiding track marks, nobody checked IDs. She slid a piece of paper across the scarred table. Booker could break every single bone in that tiny brown hand of hers just lash out, snap his hands shut like a hungry mouth, and pop. He wondered what kind of sound she would make. A near silent gasp of pain, or the frightened yip of an animal caught in a trap. He picked up the paper instead, an address and a combination. Booker memorized both. Why? Normally a question considered sacrilege in his line of work. Wabash was stocked to the rafters with people who asked the wrong questions. But this whole situation rang wrong in Booker's experience. A nagging voice, he liked to call it Deb, after his ex-wife, now buried and rotting in a landfill, bit at his brain. Walk away, you moron. This isn't right. Whole thing's funny. Booker stared at Kendall till she finally broke. It's my Gigi. She's sick and I... Deb refused to be quiet. You ain't no charity case. Get your ass up and gone, son. I can't help her no more. 
and the rest of the family left, so it's just me. And I can't do it no more, mister. The girl's desperate words ran together into one rushing river. Where'd you find me? Fella, I know. Well, my uncle, actually. Did time upstate in Michigan City? Said he heard your name there. He'd been up to Michigan City, ever. He leaned close and wrinkled his mouth into a snarl. Don't lie to me now. It was nice being close to her. She smelled good. But even better was the way her brown eyes went wide as a bunny rabbit's. Her rapid heartbeat trembled in the air around her. Booker's snarl formed into a sharp smile. Honest, Mr. Booker. My uncle's Darnell Willis. He said he heard of you. Said you could fix things. Booker leaned back and considered. He never heard of anyone by that name in his time in Westville and Wabash. But he guessed Uncle Willis steered clear of the white boys in lockup. He shrugged and held out his roughened paw of a hand. Money. Steel seeped into her spine then. She stood straighter. Her eyes turned hard as any screw Booker knew on the inside. I can't trust you no more than you do me. He nodded in agreement. I'll give you half. Something tells me this ain't no charity case, darling. Booker let the truth drip down his chin. Gigi needs help, Mr. Booker. She's... Hurting. Her eyes went soft, and Booker again suddenly wanted to reach out, grab her, feel her squirm. You just gotta promise me you won't make her suffer. Booker continued grinning, the usually dull yellow teeth very bright in the dim bar. Won't feel a thing, darling. Booker lied easily as breathing. Kendall needed to learn a criminal's word meant dick. Quick and painless death did not happen. Killing could be quick, but the second part just never factored into the equation. People overlooked or plain forgot that. He sat in the stolen car with swapped plates. On the passenger seat sat a brown bag and the various tools of the trade. Nylon rope, binoculars, rubber gloves a throw down 22. On his belt was a hunting knife the length of his hand. Booker reached into the back seat for the six-pack. The condensation was heaven on his forehead. He thought about turning on the AC. This was an older car, but it ran okay, and anything to combat the heat would be a rare comfort. The girl had been specific, though. You got to come at half past seven. I won't be gone till then. I don't want to see none of what comes next. You gotta be at half past. A little too specific for Booker. It didn't smell right, and he didn't need Deb to tell him. She did, anyway. Two hours sitting in the car, sweating his ass off, and Deb jabbering away inside his head, almost made Booker bloodthirsty enough to kill anyone for free. The trailer Kendall and her grandma, Gigi, lived in, defined ass end of nowhere. Booker knew it well. He had been born and raised in the same nowhere. The trailer home had been a different color, and instead of Gigi, there had just been the drunken dad, the fixture in all broken homes the world over. 
The trailer sat in a dusty gravel drive with an overgrown field beyond. The only coverage for miles was the tree line Booker waited in, or the wild patch of weeds and tall grass around the back of the trailer. Any kind of engine or light would be the same as a signal flare. Booker cracked the windows for some comfort, drained the bottle, and tossed it into the back with the other five empties. A merciful cool breeze drifted into the car. Somewhere, a farmer harvested mint. Booker breathed deep and gave thought to a simpler time with a kinder boy's memories. Booker would certainly never recognize that boy on the street if he could travel back in time. There had been the boy and his dog, found in a barn and raised from a pup. Both were feral, both were motherless, and both had each other. The days, hot and choked with dust on back roads, were spent playing hide-and-seek in the fields. The nights always ended with the boy on the back porch with the dog, smelling the sweet, harvested fields. Booker remembered the day his dad shot the animal. He remembered his first kill that followed soon after. Those memories lurked somewhere in the dark corner of Booker's mind. He returned to the situation at hand. Booker observed Kendall through the binoculars as she bustled around the trailer, going from one small room to the next. By the look of her short skirt and done-up hair, Booker bet Gigi wouldn't be much on her mind tonight. There was probably more cotton in his lint trap than in the girl's skimpy top. Gigi's partying days were long gone. All Booker could make of the old woman from this distance was a humped-over form, sitting in a living room chair. The girl hurried back and forth from kitchen to her Gigi, then the front door, then the windows, making a show of locking the place up tight. Booker could respect that. The girl had even more brass and brains than he'd thought. The watch crawled to seven straight up. Kendall made one last trip to Gigi, kissing her on the cheek, and then hustled out the trailer to a car, more rust than engine at this point. The dust shrouded the road in her wake. Booker waited for it to settle, and the coast to clear, scanning the countryside beyond his target. A dog barked somewhere. That left just Booker and Gigi. Good old Gigi, who needed a little help crossing over to the great beyond. Booker snapped on his gloves. He could help with that. Showtime. Booker stalked through the trees and circled to the rear of the trailer. The weeds there were dotted with garbage bags. Bits of rags and rotting food fell out of some like bloated, ruptured stomachs. Others lay helter-skelter in barrels and hastily dug burn pits. The backyard was too open for Booker's comfort. The kiddie pool squirming with mosquito larvae and a rusty swing set were the only landmarks in the patchy grass, so he stuck to the weeds and slid against the trailer's side to the back door. The solid rectangle of metal hung on shining, heavy hinges. They seemed to be the only new thing on the trailer, apart from the heavy keypad lock. Booker punched in the code memorized from his scrap of paper. A stack of cinder blocks leaned against the outside wall. Booker set one against the open door for an easy exit and went inside to see Gigi. 
The air inside the trailer reeked of Bengay and fried food. The carpet couldn't hide the warping wood and metal of the trailer's foundations. In some spots, it bent and groaned at Booker's passing. The sunset outside shone brilliant gold and orange, but through the thick blinds, it only managed sickly yellow. It fit the old woman just fine. She sat in her chair, back to the window, head bent over nearly to her lap. Gigi's bony chin stabbed into her chest and probably kept her from toppling out of her chair like a bundle of rags. Booker stepped closer and recoiled at the pungent wave of muscle cream and urine hovering about the old woman like her own atmosphere. From a safer distance, he got a longer look at his quarry. Didn't look like she was apt to mind him having a look around. Booker turned and investigated the rest of the trailer. The doll hum clung slyly to the air. The kitchen, small and nearly ancient as Gigi, was still tidy and put away. The same went for the front entrance in the hallway and back. Booker always noticed poor people seemed to make more effort keeping what little they had clean than the rich did with all their crap. One job, the rich prick had offered Booker everything he had just to keep his life. Booker had caved in the man's skull and his own chrome countertop. It was a law of the world. When people were back up against it, they'd do just about anything to keep breathing just a little longer. Booker opened the fridge and peered through the meager provisions. Past some rubbery stalks of celery lay a Tupperware container of casserole. Booker looked over the door and raised an eyebrow at the old woman. Don't mind, <laughs> do you, Gigi? Her answer, a slow, long run of spittle down her narrow chin. Booker sat at the table, revolver by his side, and dug into the congealed mass of noodles and cheese. He slurped it down with as much relish and passion as taking his next breath. The container was drained of its contents in minutes. He washed it clean with some bleach and hucked it back into the fridge. Not bad, woman. That hum snuck into his ear again, and Booker shook it out. He marched over to Gigi, towering above the old woman like a cat over a broken bird. She kept staring straight ahead past Booker and through the wall beyond. He wished she would just do something. During a stint at Wabash, Booker met a con across the block. An A1 shit for brains was the consensus between the guards and cons. The man sat on his bunk, ignored the calls for chow or rec time, never made a sound even as the guards put the batons to him, beating him into a red mass with only the rough shape of a human being. He just sat and stared with blank jellied eyes straight through the bars into Booker's cell. Seemed like he could stare through solid concrete sometimes. It remained one of the few times Booker lost sleep on the inside. Usually, the bars of the cell made him feel safer. Until the nut job was moved to solitary, Booker didn't feel protected by the bars, but trapped. What are you staring at? He leaned down with held breath fighting off the stink of her. He pointed the revolver straight at her forehead and saw no sign of recognition. Booker waved it back and forth like he was trying to hypnotize her. Nothing, creepy old bag. I'm doing you a favor. He followed her stare down the hallway and investigated further. His roughened, scarred hands 
rasped against the wood from the nearest door. Another waited on the left. Booker stepped right and entered a world of red. Easily a hundred digital clocks, all their faces proclaiming the time in loud light, stared back at him. Booker's mouth fell open, the absurdity of it. Power strips littered the floor and clung to the walls with circles of duct tape. Not that Booker really gave a shit, but he supposed the fire marshal hadn't been out this way in some time. The clocks hum inside the room, almost drowned out any logical thought. Not a single time differed. 7.25 buzzed across each display. Then the minute crept by, and all of them switched to 7.26 in unison. The bars on the windows... In the dimness, they were about the only other feature in the room. Booker made them out through the glare of alarm clocks. They shone brilliantly in the red light. Before Booker could inspect further, a brittle thud emitted from the room across the hall. Booker's blood thundered, and he forgot about the clocks, the old woman, the strange bars, everything. The revolver came up and out of his waistband and pointed back into the hall in a single swift move. The people Booker paid visits to were always surprised by how fast he was for someone his size. Their surprise was usually the last expression they ever had. Police, identify yourself and step out. Booker thought he did cop pretty well. God knows he had practice from years of being on the receiving end of those orders. No one exited the other door. There was only another weak tap. Metal on wood. Identify yourself. He almost made himself jump. His meager patience melted away and Booker rushed the door, slamming it open and nearly off its hinges. His feet instantly went out beneath him as they met plastic tarp and slick blood. The man lay on his side, bound to an overturned chair with duct tape. A wooden-handled steak knife stuck out of the man's gut. With each breath or muffled moan of pain from his trapped mouth, the handle vibrated and rattled against the floor. Before Booker could think much on it, he pulled the knife out of the man's side. He screamed behind the tape as blood rushed out into the plastic. Booker dropped the knife. Plastic sheets hung across every wall. Tarp was stapled to every inch of the ceiling. A view Booker knew well. Plastic made for an easy cleanup. The hell... He breathed and yanked the tape off the bleeding man's mouth. The man tried to speak. His eyes danced wildly with fear and pain. Cold, dying lips struggled to form words. Booker, against his better judgment, leaned in. The dying man's breath turned sour and he whispered, Hurry. Before Booker could make sense of the final words, monotonous screams blared through the trailer. Booker cried out, dropped his revolver, and covered his ears as every clock in the other room came to life. Booker fought through the noise and looked across the way. 728 lay emblazoned across each clock. That shrieking drove dull pins through Booker's ears. He stumbled again, and this time fell face first into the blood pooling on the floor. His nose snapped and filled his eyes with stars. Booker screamed and lurched across the hallway. His heavy hands ripped the plugs and power strips apart, and the alarms went silent. The silence 
did not last. A long, plaintive moan drew out of the living room. Then it rose into a short, guttural chuff. Hooker stepped back into the hall and fixed his teary eyes on Gigi in the living room. Her face came alive with blind, primal anger. Hooker blinked through the pain in his nose and looked again. Gigi's face rippled and squirmed like a cloth bag infested with mice. The full moon, the only other witness, observed with cold silver light. Gigi's legs roiled and she fell out of her chair. The dirty worn robe on her back rippled and jittered. Booker's intense knowledge of violence told him the sharp pops and cracks he heard were breaking bones and tendons. The slurping sound as they reformed into something else was an altogether new experience. Booker quit staring. He aimed and emptied the revolver into the horror show unfolding ahead of him. Gigi wrenched her face upwards at the intruder in her den. Those formerly blank eyes gleamed with yellow hatred in the quickening dark. A white crescent of teeth. The Cheshire cat on angel dust formed where a human mouth once was. Booker reloaded, large fingers, moving sluggish and sweaty in an action that should have been a reflex. Cartridges tumbled to the floor. The beast began to rise, but then doubled over on all fours. It coughed and hacked like a dog with a chicken bone lodged in its throat. Then a bloody pair of dentures flew out of its mouth and fell open on the floor as the world's goriest set of chattery teeth. Any absurdity Booker felt at the start was swallowed whole. He dropped his weapon and fled for the exit. A hand impossibly large and decorated with claws so long they resembled sickles, slammed across the doorway and blocked Booker's escape. The beast stood upright, the massive head brushing the ceiling. The worst aspect was the face. Some patches of humanity still lived there, as the old mind battled with the beast running around inside it. Booker went for the kitchen window above the sink, but only found more bars blocking the way. The heavy door, the new hinges. The trailer was built like a roach motel. Deb's nagging voice fought through the pain, rending horror inside of him. You checked in, and now you don't check out, dumbass. Never should have taken some charity case. Booker couldn't argue with that. He understood now it wasn't him doing the favor. The man in the back, he and Booker were the favors, served up on TV dinner trays. The beast's leathery ears folded back alongside its newly formed, sleek black head and loosed a shrill howl from its jaws. The noise shook Booker down to his very bones, called back to the primal instinct of every predator, meaning a larger, more ferocious foe. Booker ran. He stumbled into the room with the bloody man. He lay on the floor, pale as bone and lifeless. Booker hauled up the dead weight by the shoulders and slung the corpse into the hall. The beast leapt onto its new meal and tore into the flesh. Before he could see more, Booker made for the door again. Hungry, heavy crunches came from behind him as the beast ate. Booker met fresh, free air. Another howl came, and any relief inside him wilted. The car was a hell of a long way. 
The grass tore at his shoes, wrapping around his legs in a tangled mess. Booker fought for balance and continued his escape. Padded footfalls sounded behind. Those wicked claws raked the side of the trailer inches above Booker's head. He drew his knife, swiped at the hand, and painted a jagged red line across its muzzle. The beast cried out. Booker took the opportunity to strike again, but a swift pain lanced through his palm. The knife, along with two fingers and part of his hand, suddenly went missing. The beast leaned close. Thick red strips of gore clung to its muzzle and warped mouth. Gigi was nowhere to be seen in the hideous tangle of rippling skin now. The eyes blazed, the muzzle opened wide and enveloped the night. Booker met it with a howl of his own, reached down, and swung a cinder block in a wide circling arc down onto the beast's head. Broken bone never sounded so sweet to Booker as it did then. It fell back on all fours again, moaned. The face shrank, morphed back into human again for just a split second. Booker made for the weeds. If he could make it to the tall grass, he could lose it. He would lose it. Get to the car. Run the damn thing over till it was jelly. Get this hand patched up. Then... Miss Kendall could pay out the fucking teeth for this. Booker decided he'd start by taking her fingers, so she matched him. Maybe bring in the blowtorch if he got uncreative. His thoughts distracted him long enough for him to fall into one of the open burn pits. Fresh blood and pain erupted from his nose. Ash flew up in a black, noxious cloud all around. Booker coughed, breathing in a rancid stink. The ash settled. He stared straight into the empty sockets of a skull. Booker had company. Charred bones surrounded and observed the killers soon to join them. Warm breath caressed his neck before five bloody valleys slid up his back. Booker screamed. The beast howled. Death didn't come quick enough. No, no, no! Kendall moaned as she drove up to the trailer. The back door hung open. Some red decorated the interior side. The backyard was toppled. Long grass flattened. Some of it the same red as the door. Not all of it from just two men. Chi-chi. She ran to the front door. Garbage bags sat by the entrance. Her grandmother's shredded bathrobe and bloody plastic bundled into one. Gigi grinned at her from the living room. She wore a bright green sundress covered in daisies. Hello, little one. Gigi bent and kissed Kendall's cheek. Hands no longer liver-spotted, and steady as a rock, Kendall was happy to see, brushed through her hair. My, you look nice. Got out and did some dancing last night while I was busy. Kendall fought a smile. Oh, no, now. That boy was there. You get to see that boy. They laughed together <laughs> in the bright day. You feeling all right, Chi-Chi? Oh, I'm fine, little one. Right as rain. Thank you so much. I knew you had it in you for two. Just knew it. He come in? Before? I told the man the right time. Swear I did. Gigi waved her hand and brought Kendall inside hugging her close. 
She gave her another peck on the cheek for good measure. Man was rotten, I'm sure. Just like that fella you got from the bar. Hitting on a girl your age. Ought to have been ashamed of himself. They both did fine. She gestured to a larger bag, bulging at odd ends and angles. Two mop buckets stood nearby. One steaming with hot, soapy water. Most of the other water ran cranberry red. Last one. The big fella, though. He made a mess of my bedroom. Coming early found the other one. But I caught most of it in the plastic, I think. You set up the room just like your father. He'd have been proud. She scowled at the fridge. Ate all the leftovers, too. Miserable cuss. She gestured to the breakfast table. Come, sit down, little one. I got breakfast going. Eggs, toast, potatoes. Gigi had been busy since sunup well enough for a run to the grocery store to boot. Kendall picked the food on her plate. Even in the sun-drenched kitchen, with Gigi whistling about her work and chatting away, Kendall couldn't overlook the acidic bite of bleach on the air or the long scratches trailing across the walls. She thought maybe her brother and father had been right to move away. At least Kendall thought they'd been right. There came some days when she wondered whether they'd ever really left. Gigi's mind kept falling apart. Only feeding her one time a month seemed to do any good. Gooseflesh riddled Kendall's arms at the thought. She hid them under the table. Just once a month. And she couldn't leave the woman who had always cared for her. But a while back, it had been just one man. One man, one month. Now it was two. Kendall wondered how long till it was three. She shuddered and looked out the window at the tall weeds. Bone made good fertilizer for weeds, but not much else beyond that. Poor Gigi kept needing more, and Kendall wondered how they'd make space for all the cleanup. They might have to move. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Wicked Library. The Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on thewickedlibrary.com. You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. The Wicked Library is available everywhere fine podcasts can be downloaded. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. It makes it easier for Gigi to find you. <laughs>